Volume Two, Chapter Twelve of the Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott, Chapter Twelve. Remorse, she near forsakes us. A bloodhound staunch, she tracks our rapid step through the wild labyrinth of youthful frenzy, unheard perchance until old age hath tamed us then in our lair when time hath chilled our joints and maimed our hope of combat or of flight we hear her deep mouth bay announcing all of wrath and woe and punishment that bides us old play i need not tell you said the old woman addressing the earl of glenallan that I was the favourite and confidential attendant of Jocelyn, Countess of Glenallan, whom God assoyze. Here she crossed herself, and I think, father, you may not have forgotten that I shared her regard for many years. I returned it by the most sincere attachment, but I fell into disgrace by a trifling act of disobedience, reported to your mother by ein that thought, and she was no wrong that I was a spy upon her actions and yours. "'I charge thee, woman,' said the earl, in a voice trembling with passion, "'name not her name in my hearing.' "'I must,' returned the penitent, firmly and calmly, "'or how can ye understand me?' The earl leaned upon one of the wooden chairs of the hut, drew his hat over his face, clenched his hands together, set his teeth like one who summons up courage to undergo a painful operation, and made a signal to her to proceed. "'I say, then,' she resumed, "'that my disgrace with my mistress was chiefly owing to Miss Eveline Neville, then bred up in Glenallan House, as a daughter of a cousin-German and intimate friend of your father, that was Gain. There was muckle mystery in her history.' But why dare to inquire farther than the countess liked to tell? Hall in Glenallan House loved Miss Neville. All but twy, your mother and myself, we both hated her. God, for what reason, since a creature so mild, so gentle, so formed to inspire affection, never walked on this wretched world? It may have been say, rejoined Elspeth, but your mother hated I that came of your father's family, I but himself. Her reasons related to strife, which fell between them soon after her marriage. The particulars are nothing to this purpose. But, oh, doubly did she hate Heavenly Neville, when she perceived that there was a growing kindness between you and that unfortunate young lady. You may mind that the Countess's dislike didn't gang farther at first than just showing all the cold shoulder. At least it wasn't seen farther, but at the lang run, it break out into such downright violence that Miss Neville was even fine to seek refuge at Knockwinnock Castle with Sir Arthur's lady, why, Gain Siner, was then with the living. You rend my heart by recalling these particulars, but go on, and may my present agony be accepted as additional penance for the involuntary crime. She had been absent some months, continued Elspeth, when I was I night, watching in my hut the return of my husband from fishing, and shedding in private those bitter tears that my proud spirit wrung by me whenever I thought on my disgrace. 
The snake was drawn, and the countess, your mother, entered my dwelling. I thought I had seen a spectre, for even in the height of my favour, this was an honour she had never done me, and she looked as pale and ghastly as if she had risen from the grave. She sat down and wrung the drops from her hair and cloak, for the night was drizzling, and her walk had been through the plantations that were I loaded with dew. I only mention these things that you may understand how weel that night lives in my memory. And weel it may. I was surprised to see her, but I durst not speak first, more than if I had seen a phantom. Nay, durst not, my lord, I that I seen mony sights at hair, and never shook at them. Sigh so after a silence, she said, Elspeth Chain, for she always gave me my maiden name. Are not she the daughter of that Reginald Chain, who died to save his master, Lord Glenallan, on the field of Sheriff Moor? And I answered her as proudly as herself nearly, as sure as ye are the daughter of that Earl of Glenallan, whom my father saved that day by his own death. Here she made a deep pause. And what followed? What followed? For heaven's sake, good woman. But why should I use that word? Yet good or bad, I command you to tell me. And little I should value earthly command, answered Elspeth. Were there not a voice that is spoken to me, sleeping and waking, that drives me forward to tell this sad tale? Oh, you, my lord, the countess said to me, My son loves Emily Neville. They are agreed, they are plighted. Should they have a son, my right over Glenallan merges. I sink from that moment, from a countess into a miserable, stipendiary dowager. I, who brought lands and vassals, and high blood and ancient fame to my husband, I must cease to be mistress when my son has an heir male. But I care not for that. Had he married any but one of the hated Nevilles, I had been patient. But for them, that they and their descendants should enjoy the right and honours of my ancestors, goes through my heart like a two-edged dirk. And this girl, I detest her. And I answered, for my heart kindled at her words, that her hate was equalled by mine. Wretch, exclaimed the earl, in spite of his determination to preserve silence. Wretched woman! What cause of hate could have arisen from a being so innocent and gentle? I hated what my mistress hated, as was the use with the liege vassals of the house of Glenallan. For though, my lord, I married under my degree, Yet an ancestor of yours never went to the field of battle, but an ancestor of the frail, demented, eyed, useless wretch, why now speaks with you, carried his shield before him. But that was not all, continued the beldam, her earthly and evil passions rekindling as she became heated in her narration. That was not all. I hated Miss Evelyn Devil for her own sake. I brought her for England, and, during our whole journey, she gagged and scorned at my northern speech and, and habit, as her Southland ladies in Kimbers had done at the boarding-school, as they kited. And, strange as it may seem, she spoke of an affront offered by a heedless schoolgirl, without intention, with a degree of inveteracy, which, at such a distance of time, a mortal offence would neither have authorised or excited in any well-constituted mind. 
Yes, she scorned and jested at me. But let them that scorn the tartan fear the dirk. She paused and then went on. But I deny not that I hated her mire than she deserved. My mistress, the countess, persevered and said, Esbeth, chain, this unruly boy will marry with the false English blood. Were days as they have been, I could throw her into the massy moor of Glenallan, and fetter him in the keep of Strathbonnel. Reader's note, Massa Mora, an ancient name for a dungeon, derived from the Moorish language, perhaps as far back as the time of the Crusades. End reader's note. But these times are past, and the authority which the nobles of the land should exercise is delegated to quibbling lawyers and their baser dependents. Hear me, Husband Chain. If you are your father's daughter, as I am mine, I will find means that they shall not marry. She walks often to that cliff that overhangs your dwelling to look for a lover's boat. You may remember the pleasure ye then took on the sea, my lord. Let him find her forty fathom lower than he expects. Yes, ye may stare and frown and clench your hand, but, as sure as I am to face the only being I ever feared, and, oh, that I had feared him mire. These were your mother's words. What avails it to me to lie to ye? But I wouldn't consent to stain my hand with blood. Then she said, By the religion of our holy church, they are over sib together. But I expect nothing but that both will become heretics as well as disobedient reprobates. That was her addition to that argument. And then, as a fiend is ever o'er busy with brains like mine, that are settled beyond their use and station, I was unhappily permitted to add, but they might be brought to think themselves sisib, as no Christian law will permit their wedlock. Here the Earl of Glenallan echoed her words, with a shriek so piercing as almost to rend the roof of the cottage. Ah, that Evelyn Neville was not the, the, the daughter, you would say, of your father, continued Elspeth. No, be it a torment or be it a comfort to you. Ken the truth, she was nigh my daughter of your father's house than I am. Woman, deceive me not, make me not curse the memory of the parent I have so lately laid in the grave, for sharing in a plot the most cruel, the most infernal. Bethink ye, my lord Geraldine, ere ye curse the memory of the parent that's gain, is there none of the blood of Glenallan living, whose faults have led to this dreadful catastrophe? Mean you my brother? He too is gone, said the earl. No, replied the sibyl. I mean yourself, Lord Geraldine. Had you not transgressed the obedience of a son by wedding Evelyn Neville in secret while a guest at Knockwinnock, our plot might have separated you for a time, but would have left at least your sorrows without remorse to canker them. But your own conduct had put poison in the weapon that we threw, and it pierced you with the mire force because ye came rushing to meet it. Had your marriage been a proclaimed and acknowledged action, our stratagem to throw an obstacle into your way that couldn't be got o'er, neither would nor could have been practised against ye. Great heaven, said the unfortunate nobleman, it is as if a film fell from my obscured eyes. Yes, 
I now well understand the doubtful hints of consolation thrown out by my wretched mother, tending indirectly to impeach the evidence of the horrors of which her arts had led me to believe myself guilty. She could not speak more plainly, answered Elspeth, without confessing her iron fraud and she would have submitted to be torn by wild horses, rather than unfold what she had done. And if she had still lived, so would I for her sake. There were stout hearts, the race of Glenallan, male and female, and sigh were all that in old times cried their gathering word of Clocknabin. They stood shoulder to shoulder. Nigh man parted Fry's chief, for love of gold or of gain, or of right or of wrong. The times are changed, I hear, now. The unfortunate nobleman was too much wrapped up in his own confused and distracted reflections to notice the rude expressions of savage fidelity, in which, even in the latest ebb of life, the unhappy author of his misfortunes seemed to find a stern and stubborn source of consolation. "'Great heaven!' he exclaimed. I am then free from a guilt the most horrible with which man can be stained, and the sense of which, however involuntary, has wrecked my peace, destroyed my health, and bowed me down to an untimely grave. Except, he fervently uttered, lifting his eyes upwards, except my humble thanks. If I live miserable, at least I shall not die stained with that unnatural guilt. And thou, Proceed if thou hast more to tell. Proceed while thou hast voice to speak it, and I have powers to listen. Yes, answered the beldam. Thou art when you shall hear, and I shall speak, is indeed passing rapidly away. Death has crossed your brow with his finger, and I find his grasp turning every day colder at my heart. Interrupt me no more, with exclamations and groans and accusations. But hear my tale to an end, and then, if you be indeed sick a lord of Glenallan, as I heard of in my day, make your merry men gather the thorn, and the briar, and the green hollen, till they heap them as high as the house riggin, and burn, 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 the eyed witch, husband, and I that can put ye in mind, that sick a creature ever crawled upon the land. Go on, said the earl, go on. I will not again interrupt you. He spoke in a half-suffocated, yet determined voice, resolved that no irritability on his part should deprive him of this opportunity of acquiring proofs of the wonderful tale he then heard. But Elspeth had become exhausted by a continuous narration of such unusual length. The subsequent part of her story was more broken, and though still distinctly intelligible in most parts, had no longer the lucid, conciseness which the first part of her narrative had displayed to such an astonishing degree. Lord Glenallan found it necessary, when she had made some attempts to continue her narrative without success, to prompt her memory by demanding what proofs she could propose to bring of the truth of a narrative so different from that which she had originally told. "'The evidence,' she replied, "'of Evelyn Neville's real birth was in the Countess's possession,' with reasons for its being, for some time kept private. They may yet be found, if she has not destroyed them, in the left-hand drawer of the ebony cabinet that stood in the dressing-room. These she meant to suppress for the time, until you went abroad again, 
when she trusted, before your return, to send Miss Neville back to her own country, or to get her settled in marriage. But did you not show me letters of my father's, which seemed to me, unless my senses altogether failed me in that horrible moment, to avow his relationship to, to the unhappy? We did, and, with my testimony, how could you doubt the fact, or her either? But we suppressed the true explanation of these letters, and that was, that your father thought it right the young lady should pass for his daughter for a while, on account of some family reasons that were among them. But wherefore, when you learned our union, was this dreadful artifice persisted in? It was not, she replied, till Lady Glenallan had communicated this Faust tale, that she suspected he had actually made a marriage nor even then did you avow it sigh as to satisfy her whether the ceremony had in verity passed between ye or no. But he remember, oh, ye cannot but remember, Will, what passed in that awful meeting. Woman, you swore upon the Gospels to the fact which you now disavow. I did, and I would I taken a yet more holy pledge on it if there had been ane, I would not have spared the blood of my body or the guilt of my soul, to serve the house of Glenallan. Wretch, do you call that horrid perjury, attended with consequences yet more dreadful, do you esteem that a service to the house of your benefactors? I served her, while I was then the head of Glenallan, as she required me to serve her. The cause was between God and her conscience, the manner between God and mine. She is going to her account, and I mun follow. Have I told you I? No, answered Lord Glenallan. You have yet more to tell. You have to tell me of the death of the angel whom your perjury drove to despair, stained, as she thought herself, with a crime so horrible. Speak truth. Was that dreadful? Was that horrible incident? He could scarcely articulate the words. Was it as reported? Or was it an act of yet further, though not more atrocious cruelty, inflicted by others? I understand ye, said Elspeth, but report spoke truth. Our false witness was indeed the cause, but the deed was her ain distracted act. On that fearful disclosure, when ye rushed fry the countess's presence and saddled your horse, and left the castle like a fire-float, the countess hadn't yet discovered your private marriage. She hadn't found out that the union, which she had framed this soulful tale to prevent, had even taken place. Ye fled from the house as if the fire of heaven was about to fire upon it. And Miss Neville, atween reason and the wantot, was put under Seward. But the ward slept, and the prisoner waked. The window was open. The way was before her. There was the cliff, and there was the sea. Oh, when will I forget that? And thus died, said the earl, even so as was reported. No, my lord. I had gone out to the cove. The tide was in, and it flowed, as you'll remember, to the foot of that cliff. It was a great convenience, that, for my husband's trade. Where am I wandering? I saw a white object dart fry the top of the cliff, like a sea-maw through the mist, 
and then a heavy flash and sparkle of the water showed me it was a human creature that had fallen into the waves. I was bold and strong and familiar with the tide. I rushed in and grasped her gown, and drew her out and carried her on my shoulders. I could have carried twice sick then, carried her to my hut and laid her on my bed. Neighbors came and brought help, but the words she uttered in her ravings. When she got back the use of speech were such that I was fain to send them away and get up word to get out of the house. The countess sent down her Spanish servant, Teresa. If ever there was a fiend on earth in human form, that woman was ein. She and I were to watch the unhappy lady and let no other person approach. God knows what Teresa's part was to I been. She told it not to me. But heaven took the conclusion in its iron hand. The poor lady. She took the pangs of travail before her time, bore a male child, and died in the arms of me, of her mortal enemy. I, ye may weep. She was a sightly creature to see to. But think ye, if I didn't mourn her then, that I can mourn her now? Nay, nay. I left Teresa with the dead corpse and newborn babe, till I guide up to take the countess's commands, what was to be done. Late as it was, I kied her up, and she guard me kie up your brother. My brother? Yes, Lord Geraldin, even your brother, that some said, she I wish to be your heir. At any rate, he was a person most concerned in the succession and inheritance of the house of Glenallan. And is it possible to believe then that my brother, out of avarice to grasp at my inheritance, would lend himself to such a base and dreadful stratagem? Your mother believed it, said the old beldam with a fiendish laugh. It was no plot of my making. But what they did or said, I will not say, because I did not hear. Lying inside, they consulted in the black wainscot dressing room, and when your brother passed through the room where I was waiting. It seemed to me, and I've often thought, sigh, since sign, that the fire of hell was in his cheek and eyne. But he had left some of it with his mother, at any rate. She entered the room like a woman demented, and the first words she spoke were, Elspeth Chain, did you ever pull a new-budded flower? I answered, as you may believe, that I often had. Then, said she, you will ken the better how to blight the spurious and heretical blossom that I sprung forth this night to disgrace my mother's noble house. See here. And she gave me a golden bodkin. Nothing but gold must shed the blood of Glenallan. This child is already as one of the dead, and since thou and Teresa alone ken that it lives, let it be dealt upon as ye will answer to me. And she turned away in her fury, and left me with the bodkin in my hand. Here it is. That and the ring of Miss Neville are I have preserved in my ill-gotten gear. For muckle was the gear I got. And will I keep it the secret, but no for the god or gear either. Her long and bony hand held out to Lord Glenallan a gold bodkin, down which in fancy he saw the blood of his infant trickling. Wretch, had you the heart. I can uh, if I could have had it or no. I returned to my cottage without feeling the ground that I trod on, but Teresa and the child were gain. All that was alive was gain. 
nothing left but the lifeless corpse. And did you never learn my infant's fate? I could but guess. I told ye your mother's purpose, and I ken Teresa was a fiend. She was never mar seen in Scotland, and I have heard that she returned to her island. A dark curtain has fallen over the past, and the few that witnessed only part of it could only surmise something of seduction and suicide. You yourself— I know, I know it all, answered the earl. Ye indeed know all that I can say, and— And now, ere Glenallan, can ye forgive me? Ask forgiveness of God, and not of man, said the earl, turning away. And how shall I ask it of her and unstained what is denied to me by a sinner like myself? If I sinned, I not suffered. I had a day's peace, or an hour's rest since these lying wet locks of hair first lay upon my pillow at Craigburnfoot. Has not my house been burned with my bairn in the cradle? Have not my boats been wrecked when I the others weathered the gale? Have not I that were near and dear to me dreed penance for my sin? Has not the fire had its share of them? The winds had their part, the sea had her part. And I, she added, with a lengthened groan, looking first upwards towards heaven, and then bending her eyes on the floor, hoy that the earth would take her part, that's been long, long wearying to be joined to it. Lord Glenallan had reached the door of the cottage, but the generosity of his nature did not permit him to leave the unhappy woman in this state of desperate reprobation. "'May God forgive thee, wretched woman,' he said, "'as sincerely as I do. "'Turn for mercy to him who can alone grant mercy, "'and may your prayers be heard as if they were mine own. "'I will send a religious man. "'Nay, nay, nay, priest, nay, priest,' she ejaculated, "'and the door of the cottage, opening as she spoke, "'prevented her from proceeding. "'End chapter twelfth.